what's going on around us this week. But may we pursue you and your word with a desire to respond to what your word says, with a desire to understand more of who you are, of more of who Jesus is. that we might live more aligned with how you desire for us to live in this world. We know that there's darkness around us. You've told us from the get-go that that's going to be here. So as we seek to live as those who are followers of the light, the followers of Jesus in the midst of darkness... Give us more understanding this morning of what it means to follow you. More understanding of what it means to be looking at the world in the way that you look at it, Father. Help us to see that this morning and have our hearts changed and the way that we live shifted accordingly. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I don't know if you all have heard, but they're in the, there was a trilogy of movies that they made in the past that they're in the process of making a fourth one of. Surprise, right? Kind of seems to be the new thing. But it's the, it's the Matrix movies, right? So I don't know how many of you saw the first three of them, but let me kind of give you the, the plot or the summary of the first one because I think it helps us maybe have an understanding of the sermon this morning. The plot is that people in our world are born into the matrix. That there's a reality outside of this computer program where human beings are fighting with a group of machines and the world has basically been destroyed. I mean, it's an ugly reality when you finally see what the world actually looks like. But these machines have created a computer reality that actually is everything material that we see around us. And so everybody's born into this just going about their normal life, not knowing that it's actually a computer program. And there's this computer programmer that actually starts to notice some weird glitch type things. And what happens is the group of humans that's actually outside of this, that's fighting the machines, every so often they pull people out of the computer program who, in order to help them fight the machines, because they might understand the computer aspect, or this guy is supposed to be the chosen one to ultimately defeat them, which there's some link, Christ-like aspect there, chosen one. But that's not even the point. At least not the point. I'm trying to get at this morning. It sounds very sci-fi-ish, right? Machines and computers and programs and all sorts of weird stuff going on. But if you just take the baseline of the plot, it should sound familiar to you. This idea that the material world, the earthly world around you, is not the only reality that exists. That there is a spiritual, immaterial reality that exists outside of this earthly reality. That though we're born into this earth, there's 
a shift in mindset that can happen that allows us to see things from a different perspective than as if we just thought this was all there is. We're going to see in the passage today, Jesus' words to his disciples are, lift up your eyes and see. Jesus is calling his disciples to say, there's this new reality, there's this this reality that you haven't understood yet that is going on around you, and I want you to catch a glimpse of it that you might start pursuing it. Or if you just take the song that we just heard, for example, right? One of the phrases that stuck out to me in that song, when I just heard it for the first time yesterday when somebody sent it to me and said, how about this song for tomorrow? I was like, one of the phrases that stuck out was, he says, let us see each other through your eyes. That's not just a random thing that happens. You don't just randomly wake up and say, I now see everybody around me like God sees them. That takes a complete shift in mentality. That takes a a new reality to see things in a way that God sees them. Up until this point in the Gospel of John, we've seen a whole lot of blindness to this reality. Right? Let, Let me just give a few examples, right? Jesus is talking to people and he tells them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And what do they say? It took years to build this temple. How could you build it in three days? And we find out it actually even takes Jesus' own disciples until after the resurrection before they look back at that quote and say, ah, we get it. Or how about Jesus telling Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus says, am I supposed to somehow crawl back into the womb? Or last week, the Samaritan woman at the well, right? I will give you living water and you will never thirst again. And what's her response? You don't have a bucket. We see this happen again today. Jesus is going to say something to his disciples and they're going to take it in a literal way where they're missing it. But Jesus is calling them. He continues to call them and make them aware and unravel this mystery to them as he tells them, lift up your eyes and see. John chapter 4. Starting in verse 28, we're going to include a couple verses from last week's passage at the end to kind of fill in context for us. John chapter 4, verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice 
together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard it for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. So there's three things that we need to lift our eyes and see this morning. We need to see the food, we need to see the harvest, and we need to see the Savior. All right, so the first thing is the disciples come back from getting food, right? We know this happened. Jesus sent them to get food so he could have this conversation with the woman at the well, right? She gets saved, this resurrection inside of her. Spiritually, she, she's saved, she's resurrected, and she goes off telling people about this Christ, about Jesus, right? So now they, the disciples are now returning. As she leaves, the disciples return, see the end of the conversation. She leaves, and they say, of course, verse 31, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat, right? It makes sense. Jesus was weary from the journey. That's what we found out last week, that he asked for a drink. He was tired from their journey all the way from Judea, now into Samaria, But then also on top of being weary from the journey, now Jesus just had this conversation with this woman. So you would expect Jesus is not just thirsty, but he's hungry, right? Because it doesn't look like he even got water. The woman left her jar. He didn't even get the drink he asked for. But Jesus responds in an unexpected way. They're offering him the food they just went to go get, and what does Jesus say? Verse 32, he said to them, I have food to eat, that you do not know about. Seems strange, right? I mean, the woman was the only one who was there other than the disciples, and she didn't have food with her. She even left her jug for water. Yet Jesus is telling them, I don't need any food. I have food that you don't know about. There's this implication that somehow Jesus has already had his hunger satisfied. So, of course, it leads them to a question, question amongst themselves, verse 33. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Who brought him food? The woman didn't. We all were together. Again, another moment of the disciples' blindness here. They're taking it literally. Jesus didn't get any physical food, but that's what they're assuming he means. So Jesus takes this moment, again, to unveil a spiritual reality to them, to unveil a spiritual truth to them. What is it that's really satisfying him? What is it that's delighting Jesus, that he's declining physical food now? Verse 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. What gratifies Jesus' craving better than physical food is doing the will of his Father. 
And as he does the Father's will, he is accomplishing all the work that he has been sent to do. In this conversation that we've just seen in a few verses, Jesus is revealing two spiritual elements to the disciples. First one is, there's a food that satisfies that's not physical food. Right? There is a food that meets needs, our needs, the disciples' needs, Jesus' needs, on a level that physical things could never meet. This is so similar to what he just told the woman at the well, isn't it? The water I will give you, living water, will make you never thirst again. He didn't mean she will physically never feel thirsty. He meant that there's a satisfaction that happens with the water he gives that's better than any sort of physical water. And now we come to food, right? There's a food that satisfies, but it's not a physical meal. It's much better than that. It satisfies you in a way that the material world around you can't. So first Jesus tells them there's a food that satisfies me that's not the food you just brought. The second thing is he defines that food for them. He tells them my food is to do the will of him who sent me, or you could replace there the will of my father. What is satisfying with Jesus is to live in right relationship with his father. His physical hunger, his physical thirst are pale in comparison to walking with God. And it's probably true Jesus is pulling something from the Old Testament here. A verse you probably know from somewhere else in Jesus' life. But let me read you the Old Testament verse from Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Where do we know this from? Probably from Jesus' temptation, right? Satan tries to tempt him to turn the stone into bread, and Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of the Father. And here we see this sort of element again, right? I'm not living by bread alone. It is my food to do the will of my Father. I'm going to live by this. Jesus is calling his disciples even now, before he says, lift up your eyes, he's calling them to see this reality that there's a spiritual perspective to life that's superior to an earthly perspective. There's a superiority to a spiritual life versus an earthly life. I don't know about you, but I can even see this statement true in my own life. Let's just take the example of me being hungry, right? Say I come home from the church, and I enter the door, and I'm feeling hungry in that moment. I have two decisions, right? I can go straight to the kitchen and get myself a snack, or I can go straight to Lydia and my kids and ask, is there any way I can help? Right? Those are my two decisions. One of them is only concerned about me, my physical hunger. And the other one is concerned about what God would have me do, which is serve my family. 
right? I'm not saying you can't eat physical food, husbands, dads, okay? Don't take it that way. But what I'm saying here is, in my own experience, when I go home and feel hungry, and I go to Lydia and say, is there any way I can help? And she says, yes, the kids' diapers need changed. And I sit down and change diapers on an empty stomach. I feel more satisfied than if I had went to the kitchen to get something for myself and she changed them all. I am more satisfied in serving my family in a godly way while being physically hungry than if I replenished my physical hunger first. So brothers and sisters, I promise you this. Walking rightly with the Father is always the better food. It's always the better choice for you. It's always the better food for you to eat. I'm not saying you're not allowed to eat food. It's all about perspective, right? You could take any material thing in our world and replace it for the food, right? Walking rightly with the Father is always the better success. Walking rightly with the Father is always the better popularity. You are a more successful human being walking right with God. You are a more approved human being in walking right with God than you could ever be in it being popular with a bunch of friends or being well-known by your employer. You are more successful. You are more approved. You have more than whatever you are seeking after in this world if you are doing it in walking in relationship to the Father. So first... We have to get in right relationship with the Father. First, by salvation, and second, by ongoing repentance in our life, by repenting from and turning away from these other sources of food and saying, walking right with the Father is my food. And you walk with him. You serve your family. You humble yourself at your job. You seek the benefit of others rather than the benefit of yourself. Because... When you lift up your eyes and you see that this is the true food for you, you will see something else. You will see a harvest taking place around you, which leads us to the second thing. Jesus takes this concept of food and he blows it, right? He he blows it up, not that he destroys it, but he makes it a bigger picture here. He now starts talking about agriculture, which is very well known in this society, right? And he uses this to call his disciples to experience a transformation of their reality, a transformation of their mindset about the world. Verse 35, do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? This is physically true for them. The harvest is coming in four months. And the harvest was something to look forward to, right? You just think about our culture and how much we celebrate the harvest time, right? Think about a culture that was completely dependent upon the agriculture. How much more of a celebration was the harvest time? So this was a, a huge conversation for them, right? The harvest is coming. That, it's such a fun time because you're celebrating, because all the crops now are coming, and that's when money gets made, and that's when people have an abundance of food. And The harvest is coming in four months. 
But what does Jesus tell them? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Jesus tells them, the harvest is already here. Confusing? Maybe, for a second. Until the disciples literally do what Jesus tells them to do, right? Imagine you're looking at Jesus and he says, lift up your eyes. And they start to see either behind Jesus or they look behind them and see what is happening. Because don't forget what already has been told to us of what's going on. Verse 30. Jump back a few verses here. After the woman's testimony, they went out of the town and were coming to him. This conversation between Jesus and his disciples are happening as the Samaritans are leaving their town and walking towards them. So when Jesus says, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white with harvest, he's saying, look up, here come the Samaritan people. There's a harvest to be had right here, right now. But it's not the physical harvest of the crops that you're looking forward to. It's a harvest of people, right? Remember, Jesus told them they would what? Become fishers of men. So he says, if your mindset would just switch to my perspective, to this spiritual reality, to seeing your food as doing the Father's will for your life, you would see there's a whole lot of harvesting that's ready right now for you. Jesus gives us three truths of this harvest in verse 36. Already, the one who reaps is receiving wages. So first, the harvest is ready for reaping right now. The one who reaps right now is already receiving wages. Who's that? That's Jesus. He just saw the reaping, right? He just saw the Samaritan woman get saved. He's he's already receiving the wages of it. He's already seeing the harvest happen. And if only the disciples would get their focus off the earthly things and lift up their eyes and see all that Jesus is doing, they would recognize that there's more reaping to be done. The second thing about the harvest we find out is that it's a harvest of eternal life. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So now Jesus explains to them that this is not just some sort of random crop that's being produced out of the ground. This is eternal life that people are reaping. This is a harvest that is producing a fruit so much better than any crop you're going to see four months from now. This is a harvest that has results that last longer than any crop you will ever see in your lifetime come from the ground. And last, it's a harvest of rejoicing together. So that sower and reaper may rejoice together. This is the first time we hear a sower being mentioned here. The disciples will see the harvest and reap, but only because others have come and sown before them. 
Right? Verses 37 and 38 say this. For here the saying holds true. One sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered now into their labor. This is a well-known theme in Scripture, right? Not only does Jesus like agriculture, Paul picks up on this sowing, reaping language, right? Paul says, one sowed the seed, and one watered the seed, one saw the harvest. And the whole point in Paul, though, is people are being divided by, oh, I follow the one who sowed the seed, I follow the one who watered the seed. And, And Paul says, you're missing it. Regardless of who was sowing and who was reaping, God gave the growth. And Jesus is saying the same thing here. You're allowed to enter into the labor of those who have come before you because overarching picture here, God is drawing people to himself. God is creating a harvest for you. God is giving the growth to these people. These Samaritans are only coming to you because the Father is drawing them to himself. The sower and the reaper are important roles, but they're only happening because they're dependent on God already doing what he's been doing. John already told us this, right? All the way back in chapter 1, he says, you must be born of God. And we talked about this. He tells Nicodemus, you must be born again. We talked about this. Who decides when you're born? God does. You didn't decide when you were physically born in life. You didn't get to make that decision. Right? Now I know that we have medicine that helps with the timing of it and all that sort of thing, right? I get that. But the exact moment was planned before the foundations of the world, right? So was your moment of being born again. God had that planned before the foundations of the world. God already knew that he was going to work in your heart in such a way to draw you that you would trust in Jesus. So Jesus is calling his disciples to lift up their eyes and see the food that the harvest is ready. Do you remember that phrase on the old commercials and it's probably still around. What would you do for a Klondike bar? Right? There's all sorts of silly things that people do. Let me amp it up a little bit. What would you do for a million dollars? What would you do for ten million dollars? Now let's switch it. What would you do for one person's salvation? If you would do more for the ten million than you would do for the one salvation, you've missed it. You've missed the harvest. You're devaluing salvation in comparison to something material earthly around you. Jesus' offer here is that the spiritual harvest is better than any earthly one that's going to come. So brothers and sisters, if you make, first of all, if you make walking with God your food, there is a harvest that is going to be reaped. There's a promise here in that, right? If you make doing the will of your Father your food, you change your reality, right? You see things from God's perspective, from Jesus' perspective. There is a harvest to be had. But let me clarify before you jump on that too quickly. Let me tell you what the harvest is not. 
The harvest is not prosperity. Just because you change your perspective doesn't promise you're going to have a lot of money. It doesn't promise you're going to get promotions. It doesn't promise you're going to have a big house. The harvest is not signs and wonders, right? Now, we know Jesus uses signs and wonders in, in his ministry, but what we'll actually see, we saw it already with the Jewish people. What we're going to see next week with the Jewish people is Jesus condemns them for asking for signs and wonders. So the harvest is not that you're going to see a lot of miracles happening. The one miracle you will see happening is salvation, which is the best miracle anyway, right? Or at least it should be. And let me tell you, your harvest is not necessarily that you're going to see everyone you know come to faith in Jesus. But let me tell you what the harvest is. Is that if you will lift up your eyes, there are people around you in your life that will respond to Jesus. They will. But you also have to remember that there's two roles here. There's a sower and there's a reaper. One sees the harvest, the other does not. So when I say that there is going to be a harvest, that there are people in your life that will respond to Jesus, I'm not saying you're going to see the harvest. Your harvest may be you're planting seeds in a child's life that 20 years down the road they'll trust in Jesus. Or it may be that you have a neighbor right now that you're not talking to that is ready to trust in Jesus because there's been seeds sown before that is meant for you to be reaped. Or it could be that there's a spouse that you have that is meant to spiritually grow right here, right now. Or maybe your harvest is that you're going to plant comfort into a friend's life who's going through a hard time that is going to start a little bit of hope in Jesus that one day will come to full fruition and harvest. You're not guaranteed to see the harvest right now. But here's the point. You don't get to be part of the harvest unless you value the harvest. Because it's only in valuing the harvest that you make the Father's will your food. That you make that your priority. You make that your reality. That whatever the Father wants me to be doing in my life, that's what I'm going to be doing. I'm going to value this harvest that Jesus is talking about, even if I'm not the one who gets to be reaping it. And you only value it because you first saw the Savior. Which brings us to our last point. The passage now switches from the disciples to the Samaritans. Right? The Samaritans are now coming to Jesus. Verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Right? They believed what this woman said. They had to come see Jesus for themselves. But only in coming to see him for themselves does all of this truly start to set in for them of who this is. Verse 41. And many more believed because of his word. So 
We have the word of the Savior, right? There's three things about the Savior we're going to see here. The first one is the word of the Savior. While the woman was the means of sowing seed to the people, the people came to Jesus, and it was by his word that we see them now believing even more. They believed because of the woman's word. Now many more believed because of Jesus' word. There's an emphasis in this part of the passage, by the way, on the word word. Right? You see that it says, they believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Many more believed because of his word. Then they say, it's because we have heard it for ourselves. There's an emphasis on hearing a word here. And that's contrasting the Samaritans with the people we're going to see next week, which we've already seen, which is the Jewish people who are saying, let us see a sign. And the whole point is here, Jesus didn't have to do any signs for these people. He simply told them who he was, and they believed. No physical miracles needed. The miracle of salvation still taking place in their souls. They hear the word of the Savior, and they respond with belief in the Savior, which is the second thing we see, a theme here, right? It says, they believed in him because of the woman's word. Many more believed because of his word. And then they said, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard ourselves. We know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. We believed from the woman's word. We believed because of Jesus' word. And we no longer believe because of your word, but because of his word. There's a theme here. You catching it? Believe. God is at work in the hearts of these Samaritans. This is a harvest of people that were considered to be dirty, unclean, hated, the half-breeds. But now these people are believers, born of God, born again, God working in them. But it's not just some random belief. It's belief in the content of what Jesus is telling them about himself. The Samaritans are lifting up their eyes now and seeing Jesus for who he truly is, which is our last point, that this is the Savior of the world. Verse 42. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard it ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This is not just a Jew, like the woman said last week. This is not just a prophet, like the woman said last week. This is truly the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Two aspects here. First of all, this is Savior. Which means the Samaritans are recognizing they need to be saved from something. Right? In order to be saved, you have to recognize your need to be saved. So the Samaritans are recognizing they can't save themselves. They need someone else to save them. But also, he's the Savior of the world. This Savior reaches to the far ends of the world that include people who are not Jewish. This is good news for the Samaritans, right? They were the ones being told up until this point in their history, you can't worship in the real temple because you're not truly full-blooded Jews. And now they have Jesus himself coming, telling them, I'm the Savior of the world. That includes you. 
Let me go back to the Matrix for a moment. The life-changing moment for the main character in the Matrix is when he's pulled from the Matrix and enlightened to see what true reality is. Right? But he never would have been able to leave the Matrix, his old reality, if someone hadn't pulled him out. It's the same thing here. This last moment, this last thing of seeing the Savior is actually the first moment of a person's life as they begin to lift up their eyes and see. Right? Jesus not only teaches us the new reality once we get into this mentality of the new reality, Jesus is the avenue to get to the new reality. He is the one who saves us from the old reality. So brothers and sisters, your ability to do God's will as your food in life and your ability to recognize the harvest around you rests first and only in seeing the Savior. You have no hope to live in a way that God desires you to live apart from him, apart from Jesus. You may do things in your life that you think externally look good, but apart from Jesus, the Bible tells us you're doing it with an evil heart. Your reality before Jesus is purely self-centered. What's good for me? But upon being pulled out of that reality, being born again, being saved by the Savior, that's when you can begin to live your life for someone other than yourself. By the power of the Spirit, you can now serve others with a good heart. And ultimately, you can live for the glory of God as you seek to walk with Him in this life. So I want to simply urge you, brothers and sisters, this morning, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes and see three things. See your Savior. The one who dies for you so you can die to your old reality and the one who is resurrected so that you can be brought into new reality. See your better food. That a life committed to walking with God is better than any earthly thing offered to you. And then see the harvest. That God has opportunities set up for you, today even, for you to sow and to reap. This same Savior that redeemed you from your broken way of life, you now get to advance his kingdom by planting seeds and by reaping those who God is drawing to himself as they see Christ as Savior. So lift up your eyes. See the Savior, see the food, and see the harvest. Let's pray. Father, open our eyes this morning. May we see Jesus for who He is, our Savior, our Lord, our King. And as a result of seeing that, may we see what is truly our satisfying food. 
which is living in right relationship with you through Jesus. That our lives become, become more conformed to the image of Jesus. And as we seek to live in right relationship with you, help us to see the harvest around us. Help us to see that there's people around us that will respond to Jesus. And that it's our job to be faithful to sow and to reap. Give us patience. Give us strength. Give us steadfastness as we pursue to sow and sow and sow, even if we don't see any reaping. But also give us the eyes to see when the harvest is ready and it's time to reap. And may we be bold to call those people to trust in you as Savior. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.